Hello, friends. So glad we could be joining together as we continue in this Advent season uh, from our different locations. And today we're also continuing in our teaching series in which we're focusing on the wonders of what that newborn child in Bethlehem came to bring as he shone his light into our darkness. And today we're going to begin in an unusual place during Advent. We're going to begin in the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn there with me in your Bible or Bible app together, because I want to look at today a reality, a theme that's carried across scripture right from its opening pages. And, and this is going to be a bit of a journey to get to the implications of the birth of Jesus, but we will get there. Okay, so let's turn to the first words in Scripture. We're in Genesis chapter 1. And as we hear it, friends, remember, this is the word of God. And we read in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And we read that and wonder, okay, the deep, the deep what? Well, he's referring here to the deep waters because look at what he says in verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before the land was even formed, there is this dark, undifferentiated mass of water. Okay, now there's so many different places we could go in studying that. But what I want us to see today is that right from its opening words, we find in Scripture what will be a recurring theme of abundant water. But we also then really need to note this, that in ancient times, including the times of Jesus' day, they really believed in kind of two different types of water. I mean, for them in that day, deep water was viewed as chaos, as the abyss, like the deep here in Genesis 1. And also, for example, in Jesus' day, the deep waters of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Now, look at that and think of the story we read in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus casts out a legion of demons from a demon-possessed man, and he sends those demons into a herd of pigs. And the pigs then run off a cliff into the Sea of Galilee. Now, we read that story today, and we think, those pigs just went crazy. But in Jesus' day, they thought, those pigs just went home. I mean, it made sense to the people in that day, because they believed that that's where demons often resided, in the deep waters. All right. So that is one image of water that we see in Scripture. But right at the start of Scripture also, there is this other, kind of different image of water that is given. For example, we read of it in the Psalms many times. Look at Psalm, or listen to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay, then we flip a bit farther to Psalm chapter 36. Verse 7 says this. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. You give us drink from the river 
of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. Now, we could go on and on, but really kind of the second contrasting view of flowing water, really water that flows like a river, is also a recurring image in Scripture of what Yahweh, the God of creation, brings and what he offers. So we then ask, why would Scripture continually, again and again, use flowing water as a primary metaphor for what God offers? To which we should ask, well, where were these tasks, texts rather, where were these texts primarily written from and written to? Whether it was written by Moses, David, Jeremiah, Paul, or others. I mean, Scripture was written by, and usually to, people of the Middle East who lived almost all their lives next to or in wilderness, also known as desert. So here's a picture of the Judean desert. This is really just outside of Jerusalem. Okay, now you look at that, and if you lived in that, what would perfection look like? What would the most life-giving thing be in the desert? Water. Rivers of water. Water flowing everywhere. So, not so coincidentally then, how is paradise at creation described back in Genesis? Well, let's read it. This is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10. And it says, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Okay, now when you read that, if you think the author of Genesis' primary purpose here is to tell us the exact geographic historic coordinates for the Garden of Eden. Okay, then you pull out a map and you search for Eden and debate about its location. And that is an interesting discussion. But if you think the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is probably first trying to really paint us a picture of being in perfect union with God, then you start noticing other things in this passage. For one, that God has water flowing everywhere. Look at Genesis 2 verse 11. The name of the first river is Pashan, and Pashan means in the Hebrew, gusher. Verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gahan, and Gahan means spurter. Verse 14, the name of the third river is Tigris, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him smack dab in the center of that beautiful, abundantly water-refreshed garden in the Garden of Eden. So desert people, do you want to know what paradise with God, Eden, looked like? There were rivers of life and refreshment, just flowing and gushing everywhere. And that's why, as we already saw, the book of Psalms uses this very same imagery over 
and over and over again. Or let's turn to the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to Jeremiah's word and how is God's relationship to his people described in Jeremiah? This is Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And again, we remember that in the Middle East, that phrase, living water, that again was a reference to a certain type of water. It wasn't just still water, but it was a moving, kind of powerful river. It was water with life. So these people, they have the opportunity to know the fountain of living water, but they're settling for just broken cisterns, which were these kind of big broken pottery jars just with dirty, stagnant water. Listen to what Jeremiah adds. This is in Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, they have forsaken the Lord, here it is again, the fountain of living water. He is the fountain of life-giving water. Okay, now we hear that and think, now that's a nice title and imagery, but what does it mean? What can you find in God, the fountain of life-giving water? Well, Jeremiah tells us with his next words. Look at verse 14. So, therefore, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Now, that word healed, its root form in the original Hebrew is a Hebrew word, rafah. And that brings to mind, remember in the book of Exodus where God tells the people of Israel, okay, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. I am the Lord, your healer. I am Yahweh Rapha. So God is the fountain of life-giving water, which means in part that he is a fountain of healing. And friends, that is really good news. There is a fountain of life who offers deep spiritual healing. Okay, now let's just keep going for a bit in this. Let's listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about this and what he foretold. This is in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water. Okay, now, Bring your mind back to that picture we had of the Judean desert and think about what that would look like as Isaiah describes it. Because again, they knew about desert. They knew about parched land. And really, even as we read Isaiah's words here, doesn't that really almost sound like a return to Eden, to paradise, to rivers flowing, spurting, gushing? For waters will break forth in the wilderness. Isaiah is saying, it's going to happen again one day. 
And this is not just a picture he's saying of kind of an earthly desert, but it's also a picture of the human soul. Because Isaiah and Jeremiah are saying, this is our human condition. Apart from God, we are like deserts. We are dry, we are barren, we are empty. We're hardly able to support life. We are a thirsty people parched by desert. And so the psalmist says with those memorable words in Psalm 42 too, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My soul thirsts for him. And in scripture, that phrasing to thirst, it really brings up the image of being driven by just an unsatisfied desire. Our souls thirst for God, even though we often don't realize that that's what they're thirsting for. Okay, so let's take all of that and apply it to us today. Do you think we live in a thirsty society? And really, let me personalize that a bit. Do you ever long for anything? Do you ache for something? I mean, do you find yourself unsatisfied? And, and you just keep thinking, okay, it's out there, but someday I'm going to find it. You know, there's an old classic movie. It's called Key Largo. It stars Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall and another great old actor, Edward G. Robinson, and he plays in the movie a really bad guy, he really a psychopath named Johnny Rocco, who just does horrible things in his life. And they're all down in the Florida Keys where Rocco is holding everyone hostage while they're in the middle of a hurricane. And at one point, someone asks him, Johnny Rocco, why are you doing all this bad stuff? What do you want? What do you want? And Rocco's face kind of clouds over because he is not an introspective, reflective guy at all. I mean, he's never been through therapy. He's got very little self-awareness. So he doesn't really know what he wants. But then Humphrey Bogart looks at him and he says, I know what you want. You want more. And with that, Johnny's face lights up. Yeah, that's what I want. I want more. And he lights up because although he couldn't put it in those terms, he's convinced that if he just could get more, one day that would lead to satisfaction, soul satisfaction. Now, you ever notice that when you get a little bit more of something, it often does produce kind of a, a burst of gratification, satisfaction. You notice that? And it can create the illusion that if I just get enough more, then one day my soul will be satisfied. That will kind of quench this thirst that I have in my life. So I spend my life looking for it, just looking for more. You know, we actually laugh about that idea regarding young kids. In fact, I saw an article this week. It was titled, The Most Popular Christmas Toys Over the Last 50 Years. And it listed toys like Furbies 
Nintendo weeds, wees rather, not weeds, and also Cabbage Patch Kids, where fights would literally break out in stores as parents tried to grab the last of those toys. And, and reading through that list, it just brought back a lot of memories. For one, memories from my own child when it was G.I. Joe's, Easy Bake Ovens, they were the rage. And it brought back memories then of our kids' childhood. Like when our kids were young, one of the toys was Tickle Me Elmo. So kids all over were saying, if I could just have Tickle Me Elmo, I'd be satisfied. That, that's really all I want. And then the next year, if you remember, they really upped it. They brought out Tickle Me Elmo Extreme. I mean, if I could just have TMX, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. <laughs> but it never works. As one author put it, you will never run into a 60-year-old who got a Tickle Me Elmo when they were six, who had a lot of disappointments the rest of their life, isolation, unemployment, but they're happy and at peace because they got a Tickle Me Elmo when they were six years old. And we all know that. But later on in life, more often just looks like more of something else. Often, more success. I mean, if I could just make the team, if I could just make the honor roll, if I, if I could just get a promotion, if I could just be paid more, if I could just be CEO, if I were just more successful. I mean, the list truly, it's endless. I mean, it's always going to happen at some point that's out there where, when things are different. And God, the fountain of life and healing, looks at us and he knows that we, like people from every day, every era, are trying to find drink and satisfaction from old broken cisterns that have nothing to truly quench our parched souls. You know, the truth of the human condition is that we do often face times of dry desert. When, when trouble comes and it feels like we can't handle it, and when it hits and, and we just long to escape. And really, from our earliest days, this is true. A child psychologist, in fact, tells the story of a four-year-old boy who's having a very bad day. And he keeps getting in trouble. He keeps spilling stuff and breaking stuff and crawling on stuff where he's not supposed to be. So he keeps getting timeouts or worse. And it's really just a very unpleasant morning. And finally, after that very long morning, his mom sees him kind of standing at the picture window in their living room. And he's behind the curtains and he's just staring outside. And she hears him mumbling to himself under his breath. And, and she wonders, okay, what is he saying? So she sneaks up behind him and she hears him saying, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, there's just something about that four-year-old kid just standing there looking at the world and saying, I've got to get out of here. I mean, where can I find some relief? I'm trying, and I'm still parched. Oh, that I could get a drink of waters that would finally provide relief. And so, 
we plead in our lives. I'm in debt, and I really, I can't see a way out of this debt, and the future looks bad. Or, I'm in this marriage, and there's a level of pain I never even dreamt of. I want to honor my vows, but I don't know if I can make it. Or, I have a child I love, and she's breaking my heart. And I never knew that being a parent could hurt so deeply. Or I, I feel a depression, a grief, that, that's kind of like a bottomless pit. And it's really all I can do just to get out of bed in the morning. And sometimes, I can't even do that. I mean, is there nothing better for me? Will it always be like this? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? I mean, where can I find some healing? You know, well before COVID hit, I was at a conference for pastors where the main teacher was a pastor from another city. I'll call him Steve just to keep some anonymity for him. And really, just personally felt so fed by his teaching. He was just inspiring to listen to. And after one of the sessions, I talked with him and his wife, just thanked them. And he and his wife were just so warm, so gracious, humble. And at the end of the weekend, after he finished his final teaching with us, uh, the conference organizer asked Steve to share what he and his wife had been walking through. And we had no idea what that meant, but Steve then began to share. I mean, he and his wife had been in ministry for 40 years. Uh, they have four children, all adults, and each child was actually adopted from a different country. And one son, their oldest, I believe, was adopted from an orphanage in Russia. And life wasn't easy for him growing up. And then just a few years previously, when he was in his early 20s, their son fell 100 feet down a cliff while mountain climbing. And he recovered largely, but he suffered a brain injury that hindered the function of his cerebral inhibitor, which is kind of layman's term. It's, it's that part of the brain that stops us from verbalizing thoughts that come to our minds that are really inappropriate to say. So their son, for example, would see a beautiful woman and would verbalize what many people perhaps were thinking, but knew not to say. And a number of months before the conference, their son moved to a new city, he got two new jobs. One was at Starbucks, the other at a large department store, and he, and he really loved both jobs. But earlier, he was called into work by his manager at Starbucks, and he was fired because of fairly innocent but still inappropriate comments that he had made to one of his female co-workers. And so he was so discouraged by that. And really not long after that, he was called into the office of the department store and he was let go from there as well. And that afternoon, after being fired, uh, he went home to his apartment, went into his bathroom and took his own life. And many hours later, Steve and his wife, again, now living in a different city from their son, uh, received a call from the coroner's office stating bluntly what their son had done and that he was dead. And when Steve shared this with us, it was like the air was sucked out of the room where we were meeting. And you could not help but think back over he and his wife time and grace and ministry with us. 
And he talked about just the incredible grief they had experienced, the unanswerable what-if questions that they've asked, and just the desperate longing for a different ending. But he also shared this, which we saw demonstrated before us through the time we sat under his teaching, that Jesus Christ had been sufficient for them in the ravaging thirst that just tore at their souls. They'd known the sustenance of God's cool waters of life and hope. And you knew it. You knew they were being upheld. And, and this is how Steve put it. In a grief beyond our imagining, we know sustaining water breaking forth in our desert. You know, friends, what Steve declared with us, I want so deeply for you to know today that there is a God who became flesh and blood, who came to us as just this helpless newborn. And it was all with the intent of going to the cross for us. And this God, this Jesus says, I know, I care. I can bring you hope, fresh water, even in your desert. Don't look to the broken cisterns of this world. Don't look to them. Because I am the God who heals you. And so that God, that Savior says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So I wonder, what is Jesus saying to you today? So could we do this before we come and receive communion together? Uh, would you bow your heads wherever you are with me? Can I just let us have a moment in the presence of God? Again, wherever you are, just bow your heads. And just ask you to pause and consider what God might be saying to you today. Is there a desert, a wilderness you are walking in some area of your life? An area where you're longing for sustenance? I hope you can hear the words of that Jesus inviting you to himself. And Father, for each one of us, whatever we are carrying today in our various places, I pray we would know you. I pray by your Holy Spirit again, you would minister to those whose souls are weary, who are longing and thirsting. And Father, even with that desire, we now come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, these words from Scripture, these Old Testament texts, they ultimately point us to Bethlehem's manger and to this table. Because one of the ways that God seeks to feed us, nourish us, is through this bread and cup. As he again says, even in this table, come, everyone who thirsts. So if we can break the bread that's before us, 
remembering the wonder of what Christ has done for us through his life and death and resurrection. And Father, praying together, I pray that in every place we are joining in today, you would feed us with this meal, with the nourishment of your Holy Spirit, with this bread and with this cup, we pray. And so I invite your friends to take the bread that's before you. And if you would hold it for a moment and hear again the wonder of these words, the body of Christ was broken for you. I invite you to take and receive from him. And then with the cup, we take this and remember again and receive because the blood of Christ was poured out for you. Drink from him. Oh, Father, I thank you again for your grace and goodness. And again, for every heart today, we pray your ministry would be upon us as we walk through this week. I pray we would know you. We would feel your cool waters by your Holy Spirit in whatever we face. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So glad we could join together today, friends. And do hope you can join in next weekend as we continue in looking at the wonder of what Jesus brought with his light shining into our darkness. And as you walk into this week, I pray that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit this week, you may abound in hope in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.